real quick before we get completely going, I just want to um, let you guys know that we're gonna we're gonna be covering you know quite a bit of stuff. But um, one of the things, just as like little helps that you guys might want to get for yourselves as we go into the Book of Revelation, because how many people here have ever had a fear of the Book of Revelation or like it's gonna be confusing? I don't get it. It's weird. There's all these pictures and four-headed beasts and <laughs> horns and strange things and all that kind of stuff. Well. A good commentary and like little helps and things like that can definitely help. They really can. Um, sometimes they just just getting a little bit of extra information. It's like, okay, that's what that is. That's what that means. That's what. Okay, great. If you are going to get a commentary, the one that I highly recommend is uh, John F. Walverd. His commentary on the Book of Revelation. Um, out of the ones that I've read. This is just me, but it's the one that I like the absolute best. He is the foremost expert on end times prophecy and things like that. And that is among the liberal scholars and the conservative scholars. Everybody bows down before John Walvoord. Not really. But um, everybody does acknowledge that he is the foremost expert on the subject. And not only that, but um, a lot of times when you get into some of these books, into commentaries and things like that, they can be really, really, really heady really theological and very difficult to understand. You're just like, come on, I'm just a guy. I, you know, I barely have a college degree. Just please help me out. Um, this one, he actually does a really great job of making it very easily understood. And he'll give you some different points of you know, different um, views that people have and all that kind of stuff. So um, if you are going to get a, a commentary to go through this, if you really want to dig into the book of Revelation, then I would recommend this one. And then you can find all sorts of like little helps and things like that. You can go to any Christian bookstore. Rose Publishing has, they have these little pamphlets that on just about every subject known to man and the Christendom. And so um, if you want to get one of these, they can definitely be helpful as well. So, all right. Now, I just wanted you to know that because, you know, we're hitting Revelation, I actually, I wrote notes this time. I, I yeah. We're doing the intro, and we're going to be like covering some some theological things and some perspectives and and stuff like that. So I don't normally have an actual like notebook with notes and things like that. Usually, I you know I have stuff you know written you know in my Bible and like little things to trigger my memory and all that. But um, but this time because of what it is and what we're going to be covering tonight, uh, I, I wrote it down. So. <laughs> it's not normal, so uh, you know I'll apologize if I'm a little choppy looking down and things like that because I just I'm trying to keep on track. So we begin the revelation, and that's what the book is called. It's the revelation. Now a lot of times you know in our conversations we'll talk like, oh revelations, it's such a great book. It's not really revelations plural. It's singular. It's the revelation. Uh, revelation actually means unveiling. So it's something that was covered, it was something that was concealed, but this book is the unveiling of it. It's removing the veil, it's removing that which kept it secret and unknown before, it's coming off. So that's what this is, it's the revelation. And it begins, we're going to actually cover the first three verses of the revelation tonight, and um, we'll, we'll just kind of dig right into it. Why don't we go ahead and begin verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. 
Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Kind of a cool way to start the book. It, 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 it immediately, it immediately, even in the first three verses, you get a sense of like, okay, this is big. This is like, I've just got invited to um, the Oval Office and they're like giving like the details of what's going to happen with uh, Al-Qaeda and things like that. It's like immediately there's this sense in this book because the time is near. And you just kind of go, ooh, okay, this is, there's something special about this. There's something important about it. One of the things that I would like to, in the very, very, very first verse, it's important to understand the flow of this. It does bring clarity if you understand it. Notice what it is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. This whole book is about a person. This book is removing the shroud off of Jesus. Because you know, we read in John's first book, you know, in his gospel, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Right? And so Jesus was the word of God incarnate into human flesh. He was veiled. He set aside his glory. We saw a glimpse of that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration where he went, he was glowing and, and the guys were like, and Peter's like, uh, it's good that we're here, Lord, and all that. But it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But notice this, it says, which God gave him. Notice that him is capitalized. Right? God the Father gave this revelation of Jesus to Jesus. You think, what kind of sense does that make? What do you mean? Well, just remember, Jesus was incarnate God. You know, he, was, you know, he was and is God, the Almighty, part of the, the, the Trinity. But he veiled himself. He set aside his glory and he became man. Now, some people argue and have different viewpoints on this, but Jesus himself said, like what, concerning the day and the hour when these things will take place, speaking of the book of Revelation and the end times and all that, Jesus says, not even the Son knows but the Father only. Right? So there was something that Jesus did not know. Now, whether, whether he knew everything else, I'm not going to argue that. I have no idea. The Bible is silent on it, so I'm going to be silent too. But in this case, Jesus did not know this. And so this is that place where it steps up where Jesus said that. Not, not even the Son knows, but the Father only. Now the Father is revealing these truths to Jesus and then notice the flow goes from there. It says, so it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave to God the Son for what purpose? To show his servants, Jesus' servants, things which must shortly take place. Underline that word shortly if you're taking notes or if you have a pencil or anything like that. That word shortly is not, does not mean a short span of time. It doesn't mean, oh, in three months, this revelation, these, these things that are going to happen are going to happen. What it actually means, it actually means once it begins, it's going to be a short duration of time that it takes place. So once these things begin to unfold, it's going to go real fast. Okay, so there, there, there could be obviously a space of 2,000 years between these things or 1,900 years between these things and when they start. But when they begin, it's going to happen in a very short period of time. It's going to, it's going to be very rapid. Seven years to be exact. And so he says, And he, that's Jesus, sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So again, follow the flow. God the Father gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it, and the purpose of it is to give it to us. 
But before he gives it to us, it says, see that word signified? That means he rendered it into signs, pictures, illustrations, right? So he, he takes this information and he renders it into signs, gives it to his angel, and then the angel gives it to John. And then John, through the book of Revelation, gives it to us. And so that's the flow of this book. That's the flow of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says that uh, he sent and signified it. And it says, but then there's a description of the servant of John. And it says, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. People kind of debate on who John is, but it's pretty obvious when you give the description of who it is. It says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. He's giving a description of himself. This is John the Apostle who was there with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry through the three years until his crucifixion. He was the one who, who the one of his disciples who stood at the foot of the cross and was there with his master while his master was hanging on the cross at Calvary. Right? He saw the word of God, and you notice the, the similar... Um, title of Jesus, which uh, John also uses in his gospels and in his gospel and also in his epistles. And it says, and the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all the things that he saw. Now, notice this, the the verse three is really where we're going to kind of start to dig in in this tonight, because it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, this verse three is so important. It is one of the most important verses in this entire book because it tells us how we approach the book. It tells us how we are to read this book. And uh, let me give you just a couple points of it. Number one, it says, expect a blessing. This book is unusual in all the other books of the Bible because it says, if you read this and you hear it and you keep it, you are going to be blessed. It's giving there's some kind of special blessing. I mean, we all know that if we you know, read the word and study the word, we're going to be blessed, of course. But this one is actually, it has the, the boldness to say, I'm special. Read me and you will be blessed. Understand me, hear me, and you will be blessed. So we are to read this book expecting to be blessed, expecting something from the Lord. It's like, huh, what kind of blessing? Well, we'll get to that in a bit. Notice also that the book says, in verse 3, it says, uh, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. This book is prophetic in nature. It is a prophetic book. What is prophecy? Prophecy is something pointing to things that are going to happen in the future. Also, you know, in verse 1, it says that, things which must shortly take place. Right. So it is a prophetic book. So we are to look at it through that lens. We are to look at it with that eye. Now, also, it says that blessed is those, are those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now, each one of us, when we get into the book of Revelation, because, you know, obviously there's a lot of word pictures, there's a lot of illustrations, there's a lot of things like that where you can kind of like go, oh, I just can't handle it, like brain freeze kind of a thing, but it's like it's revelation freeze, I can't stand it. You know, it's like there's too many things going on, I, I just don't get it, I'm going to close the book. He's saying we have a responsibility to hear. We have a responsibility to take these things into consideration, to chew on them, to do the research, to look them up, to say, okay, what does that mean? To ask the question, because if we just kind of like and flip through it and read through it like we'd read a novel or something like that, 
then you're not necessarily going to get these things. Okay, it is actually a, a very simple book, and it's very easy to understand. If anybody here has ever heard John Corson give his uh, go through the Book of Revelation, he, he did us all a favor in saying that because it really is the Book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It's very easy. It's very simple as long as you keep the things in their proper place, in their proper perspective, which we will do. But when we go through this book, we have a responsibility as the hearers to hear, to take these things in, to 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 chew on them, to let them, you know, kind of uh, marinate our hearts a bit and to consider them and not just to let them go in one ear out the other. One thing that we definitely absolutely must, must, must address is how do you approach this book? Because there are some absolute errors of interpretation of this book. And um, there are literally whole denominations that look at this book in a completely false light. And you're thinking, wow, Brian, that's kind of a brazen statement to say. I'll back it up. The most detrimental way that you can come to this book is with a predetermined concept of what it is. Right? If you come to this book saying, like, this is what I believe, and so when I read this book, I'm going to... Everything is in that light, right? If we come to the book of Revelation with preconceived ideas of what it means and, you know, what its applications are, then we've already done ourselves the the disservice because we're not going to get it. I'll give you an example. One mode of interpretation of this book is allegory. This book is just, it's a bunch of symbolic gestures. It's just a bunch of things like that. It's kind of like... yeah, they're word pictures and things like that, but they don't really have any specific meaning. And the reader, it's left to the reader to determine the meaning of this book, right? There are, that, that is actually a very popular method of interpretation for the book of Revelation because of the strange symbolisms and things like that that will follow in this book, especially when we get into the tribulation, right? But one of the most, it's, it's a very prominent aspect of looking at this book they just say hey you know what we don't get it so it must be allegory and that way i can take these things and just make a a, a fun application and give it whatever meaning i want to give it and i i feel good you feel good we feel great okay um it's important to know that um that this obviously is not a literal it doesn't take the book of revelation like in a literal fashion you don't like literally like oh these things are actually going to happen you know these things are future events that are really going to happen it doesn't take it that way. But the, um, it's important to understand where this ideology came from. Because in the early, it, it was even in the first century, the, the church was fighting something called Gnosticism. Any of you ever heard of Gnosticism? Gnosticism was basically, it was a heretical group that were, they're kind of like on the fringes of Christianity. It would be like the emergent church right now. You know, it's like they're kind of like on the fringes, but they don't completely buy into the apostles' doctrine and all that kind of stuff. They were the ones who had the philosophy that um, Jesus, because God is pure and holy, uh, he couldn't have actually come down and become flesh because flesh is evil and corrupt. And so in that case, Jesus wasn't really a man. When he walked, he really didn't have footprints or anything like that. When he died on the cross, he didn't really die. It was just, it was like a, a spirit that looked like a body that pretended to die, and they had some really whack beliefs. And so the, the apostles and the church, very early on in the history of the church, were fighting these, um, these Gnostics. Well, the Gnostics had their base camp uh, set up in um, Alexandria. And the Alexandrian school 
where the um, the whole allegory idea came from is obviously it was kind of a Christian church, but it was right in the dead center of the capital of the Gnostics. And it was heavily influenced by those Gnostics. And they came they came with a predetermined notion. When they came up with the, the allegorical approach to interpreting the book of Revelation, they said, we know that Jesus isn't literally going to come back and reign for a thousand years. We know that. So in that case, this book can't be a literal thing. It's got to be more spiritual and something that we can be very fluffy about and, and just make it mean whatever we want it to mean. Okay, it was, it's a very dangerous preconceived notion, and it resulted in this. So when we come to the book of Revelation, we can't assume that it's like, gosh, you know, is the millennium, is it real? Is Jesus really going to reign? You know, it's like, because those are the kind of things that when you're like talking to people that, you know, unsaved relatives and family and friends are like, do you really believe that Jesus is seriously going to like come back and like rule the world and all that? Come on, right? These people would say no. He will not. He, he is not actually going to reign for a thousand years. It's a symbolic meaning of how Christianity is just going to prosper and basically dominate the world and its goodness, and it's going to spread all around to the four corners of the globe. So that's what they believed. Now, there's another way of interpreting this. It's called the preterist way of interpreting the book of Revelation. I do apologize for going through these theoretical things, but it's so important because from, the, from this point on, the way you look at the book of Revelation is going to determine on how you interpret these things that you're seeing, these visions and things that you see. So we have to hit these things right off the bat. The preterist uh, mode of interpretation. The preterist basically says that the book is a symbolic word of encouragement, and it was symbolic history for one purpose. It was written by the Apostle John for the encouragement of the first century believers. That's all it was. That's the only significance that this book has. Is it was to encourage, it was symbolic histories to encourage the believers because they were being persecuted by really mean Caesars and things like that, Nero and all that. You know, they were having a really hard time. And so this book is only to give them encouragement. That's all this book is for. Okay. Now, they, they absolutely believe, kind of like the, the allegorists, the, the Gnostics, that this book is not prophetic. It is not speaking of future events that are actually going to happen. No. They came to the book, the preterists came to the book, saying that we know that the book of Revelation was written for the first century reader, so it has to be symbolic. It has to be symbolic. Now, another aspect of why these uh, two systems of thought came about is, think about where they are. Israel has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Now, you start reading through the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation is predicated upon the fact that there's a temple. So they say, there's no way. Israel's destroyed. It, you know, it's not coming back, so this can't happen. It can't be literal. There's no temple, so it can't really happen. You know, like when the, the two witnesses get killed, and it says the whole world, when they sit up, and they, they're, like, resurrected on the third day, and it's like, on the third day, they, like, sit up, and everybody's like, and it says the whole world saw them. To these people, is there, there is no mass communication systems. There is no TV and CNN and all that kind of stuff. So to them, this stuff is utter nonsense. One world government, one world system of money and things like that. So in their minds, it's like, these things are impossible. These things can't happen. So we know it must be symbolic. It, it can't be a literal history. It can't be a literal thing. 
we have the the great luxury of looking back on time now and with the advances of the modern age that I go, oh, all these things are possible. And look, Israel is back in the land. Wow, amazing. Uh, the third one that I want to look at is the historical approach. Now, this is probably the most the most accepted um, view of interpretation for the book of Revelation. And basically this says that it was a literal history and a literal fulfilling, but it already happened. It's all already happened. We're living in the millennial age right now where Christ is ruling and reigning through the church, basically. So we're already there. And now, the, <laughs> now, <laughs> good question. Now, the reason why this thing gains so much like stature in, in Christendom is because it really happened during the Reformation, right? Because what are the reformers? Now, the historical usually kind of go, they kind of have, usually people who you know, interpret this book through the historical mode of interpretation usually have a post-millennial viewpoint as well, that Christ is going to come at the end of the millennium and then like the church will be raptured and like that. It'll happen after the millennium. I'll tell you why in a second. Because, now here, here was the reformers, Martin Luther and these guys, they came with this preconception. They said, we know that the Pope and the papacy is the beast of Revelation chapter 13. They hated the Pope. They hated the Pope. And so they came with this notion. The Pope is the beast of Revelation chapter 13. And so that means we right now are living in the tribulation. And that means that Jesus can't come back at the beginning of the millennium, but it has to be at the end of the millennium. Right? So they came with this preconceived notion. Right? We know that the Pope is the beast. There we go. We've got it. So now, now we can understand the book of Revelation. We're in the tribulation right now, and the reformers were being persecuted, granted. They were being persecuted greatly. You know, the Pope was trying to kill them, and you come, come to the Inquisition and all that kind of stuff that happened afterwards. But do you see the danger of these systems, of these modes of interpretation? Because it's like we know this for a fact, and so this is how I'm going to read this book. This is how I'm going to understand the things that are written in this book. The question that I had to ask as I was like reading these different things and these different viewpoints and all that, what does the book say of itself? Novel question, right? What does the book say of itself? What does Revelation say of itself? Well, we saw it, uh, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of this what? Prophecy. Prophecy. Something that's going to happen. It's a prophetic book. And in verse 1, it says, now now remember, Jesus did signify this book, right? It says so. It says it came from God the Father to Jesus, and Jesus signified it, rendered it into signs, and gave it to his angel to give to his servant John. But notice in verse 1, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Notice that. Things which must shortly take place, that is before Jesus rendered it into signs. This is not symbolic language. He says these things must soon take place. Right? These are things you know, God is showing. God gave it to Jesus to give to his servants. 
to show them things that must happen. Actual events that must actually happen. Okay, this is not in, there's no symbolism here. There's no, you know, flaming pots and there's no, you know, candle stands and there's no anything. There's no flying uh, locusts that have dragon bodies and scorpion tails and lion's manes and all that kind of, none of that. It's just a straight word. This book claims to be a prophetic book. And so unless, unless something within the text or something within the, the, the completion of Scripture, all the rest of the books of the Bible, unless there is something that pulls us from that view, right, we have to take the, the book at its word. Right? If there's something in the book that says, okay, I'm just kidding, or it's not really prophetic, you know, just, you know, use it, whatever. If there's something in there that says that, then it's like, okay, great. But unless it does, we have to, we have to give the, the benefit of the doubt to the book that it is telling you the truth. Because if it's not, then it's like, well, how do you really interpret anything in the Bible? Right? If you don't come at it and say, hey, you know, the Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. You know, God breathed. All, all scripture is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped. Right? But if we take this same, what, you know, so many people before us did in these modes of interpretation, if we do that with the rest of the Bible then what happens? We become God. The Bible is not the word of God, and it's basically, it's, um, it's, the whole thing becomes allegorical, and it's up to us to determine what it means and its significance. One of the things that I will say about these three, um, and I, I call them errors of interpretation, is that if they are true, then the book of Revelation is not really worth reading. It, it's kind of a curiosity, it's interesting, but there's no genuine significance to this book at all. That seems kind of weird to think that God would pen a book and it would be accepted as canon and in inspired scripture, you know, a book that really had no significance to us whatsoever and was not really worth anything, right? It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird to think that. But nevertheless, many people do. So... Um, there's going to be some things that we must keep on our radar when we go through this book. And if you're taking notes, just kind of jot these things down. These are things that, you know, in your own time, I would, I would encourage you to look up and, you know, check out, maybe do a Google on them or something like that. Go on the Blue Letter Bible or whatever software you have and just kind of look into these things because these are all things that are going to be dealt with in the book of Revelation. Number one, the big one is the millennium. Uh, we, we will definitely be hitting the millennium. And that that's another one of the things, like if you look at that, that uh, pamphlet that I had over there, you know, it has like these four different ways of interpreting the millennium, right? And in those four, the one of them has like, it's like a two, per, a two thing breakdown and it kind of splits it. It's like, is it post-trib? Is it pre-trib? You know, when's the rapture? I don't know. And all that. We'll get into that. Luckily, the millennium's not till the end of the book, so we don't have to, do, we don't have to worry about that tonight. Um, the rapture. What is it? You know, in the Bible, what does the Bible say about the rapture? Because, you know, in the book of Revelation, it's crucial to understand the rapture. Because if you don't understand the rapture, then it's like, is the church going through this? You know, the great tribulation and the wrath of God, is the church going through that? Or is the church up in heaven? That's an, a super important point. So we're definitely going to be, talk, you know, talking in great detail about the rapture. Um in chapter 2 and 3, there are the seven churches. 
Now, these are, if you look at in chapter 2 and 3, just, just look at it real quick. Notice it's all red. These are seven epistles, not written by Paul, not written by John, not written by Peter, anything like that. These are seven epistles written by Jesus Christ himself. He, he you know, John was his, you know, his little scribe that wrote these things down. But this is an epistle from Jesus Christ to the churches. And so we have to... We have to kind of, we'll, we'll definitely dig into these. We're going to take these one at a time, you know, each week. We're going to take one at a time because they're really important. Probably the most significant part of the book of Revelation for us in this group is chapter 2 and 3. It's probably the most important part for us because it deals with us directly. But we will need to know what is their significance because there's also views of interpretation of who the seven churches are and what they are and how do we look at them. So we'll take those. Um Another absolutely crucial thing that we must understand is the difference between the church and Israel. Okay, this is absolutely paramount that we understand this. Because, again, you're going to be seen through the book of Revelation. You're going to be hearing this word, saint. Now, we all think of ourselves, well, we're the saints, right? We're the saints. Yeah, but you go in the Old Testament, you, you, you type in saints in like a word search, you'll find the word saints comes all over the place. There are pre-Christ saints and there are post-Christ saints. And they're two different things. They're two different groups of people and they're dealt with in completely different in the scriptures. Okay, so when we're reading the book of Revelation, we have to be able to keep in our minds the difference between the saints that are a part of the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints, Israel, and the New Testament saints, which are the church. Okay, it's going to be super important. Um, one of the beautiful things about the book of Revelation, which does make bring great clarity to it, is it does come with its own outline. And Hector's going to be dealing with that next week, and he'll he'll be he'll be bringing it to, to view. But it's Revelation chapter one verse nineteen uh, actually tells you how the book is to how it's broken up, how the flow of the book goes. And so um, it it it's perfect. It it really does. It, it brings great clarity to it. Now. Something to keep in remembrance. And this, I'll just say, write this verse down and go back and take a look at it. You do your homework. Just kind of refresh yourself with it. We went through it in you know, when we went through Mark. But um, I also want to give you, it's Matthew chapter 24. Okay, this is Jesus' discourse to the disciples of basically the entire end time scenario. So what Jesus did in one chapter in the book of Matthew, John is going to dedicate an entire book to. But it's the same thing. Jesus gives the big overview of the whole thing, but John is going to go detail, step by step, through the whole thing. Okay, but they're the same thing. It's talking about the same portion of time. Okay, so that that'll be very helpful in understanding what's going on. And I, I even, if you, you know, if you want to look at it in my in my Bible on, in Matthew chapter 24, I literally put like the seals, like the seals that are being broken open and what's happening, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, I put like, okay, there's seal one, there's seal two, there's seal three, there's seal three, four and five, you know, oh, there's the halfway point, oh, there's seal six and the trumpets and the bowls and all that stuff. I put, I put all that in Matthew 24 just so I can see it and keep it clear in my head. Um, also a super important one, you guys remember when we did uh, the 70 weeks prophecy, Daniel chapter nine, remember that? Um, that remember I t how I told you you know we dealt with the first 69 of those weeks, and when we get to Revelation we're going to deal with the 70th week of Daniel. The book of Revelation is the 70th week of Daniel. 
Okay, it speaks of a seven-year period. Now, it's not the whole book of Revelation because chapters 1 through 5 aren't really that part. That's church history and things before. But once you get to chapter 6 and the rest, it's the 70th week of Daniel. Okay, that's important to realize who is the 69 weeks, who are the 70 weeks of that prophecy dealing with. It's very important that you understand this. It's Israel. If, you know, and I'll, I'll say, go back and read it. Jan, Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 24 through 27. It is a prophecy that was given to Daniel concerning his people. Okay, it's his people. So when we read the book of Revelation, when we read about these saints and the tribulation, all the things that happen here on earth, the hell on earth, right, the apocalypse, right, it's dealing with the 70th week of Daniel. It's concerning Israel important to understand. So, with all that, okay, th those are things just that we need to, as good students of the word, we need to keep these things in our thoughts. We need to keep them in our minds. We need to consider these things as we are approaching the book of Revelation. And if we do, it's going to be very clear. Now, if Hector and I do our jobs right, then it's going to be clear anyway. Because, like I said, this book is designed to bring clarity of the person of Jesus Christ, not to bring confusion of the, of the book of Jesus Christ. So, if by the end of this book, you guys are confused, just come up and say, hey, I want my money back. I'm confused. We didn't do our job. Okay, we will hang our heads in shame. And <laughs> because it, it, it's, not, it's not a confusing book. It really is uh, very simple, very straightforward. And you know, once, you, once you get all the perspectives right, it's having an understanding of who the church is, who Israel is, what are the time frames, things like that. Once you get all those things in, like, in, in perspective, the book just like goes and just opens up. It's very easy, very easy. But as I promised, I can't just go through theology and things like that in an intro to the book of Revelation. We got, we got to like have, okay, how do we apply this to our life? What do we we got to have something that we can take away tonight that's like for our personal walk. All right. Also in verse 3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. Now, when we read something, it is to make ourselves aware, right? You read history to make yourself aware of history. You read all sorts of things to gain understanding, to gain insight, and uh, to grow yourself, right? That's, what, that's when you go to school, you're reading all these books, and they're giving you all these things to read. If, you go to, if you're going to Bible college, you're reading all these commentaries to gain understanding, right? So blessed are you, blessed are we, when we read the words of this prophecy. And not just, not just Revelation as a whole, but the, whole, the entirety of Scripture, Right? Oh, how happy are we when we take our when we take the time to make ourselves aware of these things, right? Because it's so easy to you know you come to church on like a Friday night and a Saturday, or maybe you have another Bible study you go to and things like that. Maybe the Tuesday night, and like we can just like listen to what the pastor speaks of and go like, oh wow, that was great, awesome, and then we go home and it's like, and then like that's it. But there is a huge difference between just basically getting the gleanings of what the Lord showed me in a Bible study compared to what he will actually give you when you dig into these things, when you open up the word, and when you read these things yourselves. Because when I gave, um, I, I got to fill in for Joey, and I did that study on holiness, 
right? The beauty of holiness was, was the message. And the Lord literally changed my walk with the preparation of that study. I mean, it was, it so floored me, the preparation of that study. I was just like, I, I, I don't know. And, and I, I apologize to people afterwards because it's like, you know what? It's like, it was like trying to describe a sunset to somebody who was blind. It's like, you know, how, how do you, like even somebody who's seen a sunset before, right? You, you go out there and you see this incredible sunset and it's like, wow. And then you come and you try to describe it. How, can you? Can you really describe what the sunset was? I mean, you can kind of give like these vague images of what the sunset looked like, but it is so difficult. It is so difficult, and it's probably one of the most frustrating things as a pastor. It's like it's so difficult to show you what the Lord really showed us. And so you're only getting like literally the little gleanings. You're just getting the little bits that we can put into words for you, right? So if that's your main like diet of the word, then all you're getting is gleaning. You're getting leftovers. You're getting, it's like, you know, you, you eat a cheeseburger and stuff like that and, like, some ketchup falls down and, like, after you get through your animal fries and there's just, like, the, the dregs around the thing and there's a couple little crunchies at the bottom of it. Like, that's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. And so what I would say, my, my encouragement and my exhortation to you guys is make sure, dig into the word yourselves, right? And not just, not just in straight systematic theology and Bible study and things like this, but really draw near the Lord, right? Devotion. Think about the word devotion for a second. I was talking to a, a woman on the phone today and I was, to, I was encouraging her to like really pour into her devotions. And I thought, you know, so often as Christians, you know, devotion is a Christianese. It's one of those words that we just, we throw around all the time. And what does it mean to us? When we have our devotion. It means that we read the Bible. Right? That's pretty much how we translate it. But I want you guys to take a second. Now, out of the context of Christianity and Bible studies, what does devotion bring to you? Adoration. You think of like a, a husband and a wife who are devoted to one another. They show devotion to one another. It's like a lifelong commitment. It's a, it has emotion attached to it. Like when you think of that word devotion, it's, it's like honoring and it's, it's, it's looking at something and raising it up like, wow, you know, I'm like, if you were a devoted employee, it's like, you know, when everything went to hell at your work and like your, your boss says, but that Stacy, wow, she is a devoted employee. Wow. You know, how great and it's like, it's, it's, it's like looking up like, oh, wow, it's something great. It's something that is, you know, you, you want to hold it in high esteem. So now take that light and shine it back onto your devotion this morning or the last time you had a devotion. Did that light do justice to your devotion this morning or the last one you had? Did it? Was it of high esteem? Was it something that had that was like, wow, and it's like a personal, like a husband and a wife relationship, that devotion to one another through, you know, better for worse, sickness and health, all of that, till death do you part. You know, it's a commitment. Did that describe your devotion this morning? I would encourage you to let it. Look at your devotion as something holy, as something beautiful, something that you are devoted to, something that you hold in high esteem. Right? Because what is it? It's not reading a chapter of the Bible when you wake up in the morning. It's not reading another chapter when you go to bed at night. It's not reading one psalm, one proverb, and then one, you know, one Old Testament book and then one New Testament book. Right? That's not what devotion is. That's Bible reading. It's Bible reading. 
There's different ways to look at Bibles, right? There's Bible study. That's the digging in, looking through encyclopedias and looking up words in the Hebrew and the Greek and all that. That's Bible study. Bible reading is where we just, we read quickly and just flip through just to kind of get the overview, things like that. And then there's Bible devotion. And Bible devotion is where we draw into the presence of the Lord and seek, literally waiting, anticipating, Lord, what are you going to say to me this morning? What are you going to say to me? The living God is going to speak to me through his word, and I want to know what it is. That's devotion. That's the Bible devotion. Right? That's that time of prayer where it's just like, you know, it's like, Lord, you're so good, and you're giving thanks, and you're just praising him for how good he is and what he's done in your life. Blessed are you who read. Now, it also says, um, and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now, when you take those things, when you do the Bible reading, when you do you know, your devotions and things like that, I'm going to say it's not just enough just to read it because sometimes we can, we can, we're kind of a disposable society. You know, it's like, we're, we're, entertain me. You know, it's like, I want to read War and Peace. You know, give me the 30-second version. As a matter of fact, how many of you guys see, have seen Fireproof? Heidi and I, we bought it, and we were cracking up, cracking up, because at the end of it in the special features, they have a fireproof in one minute. And so they, they, all the actors, like, they, they act out certain, like, certain crucial scenes in the movie, but, like, still hate you. And, like, and it's, like, it's just like this moment. Yeah, still don't love you. And it's like and they act out the whole movie in a 60-second spot, right? And it's, it's hilarious. It's, it's so, I mean, really, I mean, it's, a, it's a spoof. It's a joke. They're, they're not taking actual excerpts out of the movie. They, they literally filmed this 60-second version. And it's funny. But, like, that's what we look for. Like, entertain me. You know, give it to me now. I want it in 30 seconds. You know, you're right. It's like, but it's like, you know, it's like, but that, that's, that's what we, that's what we're trained for, right? That's what we're trained for. It's like, you know, remember when we were kids, cartoons, half hour long, half hour long, you know, how long the cartoons are now? Ten minutes. Yeah. They're like, you go to like, you know, Playhouse Disney and all that kind of stuff. They have like all these little things that like, instead of having like one half hour story, they break it into two. So there's like two wonder pets. Right, two two different episodes of Wonder Pets in one half hour period, right? There's, you know, there's, and it's like it's like whoa, it's like whoa, it's like are, are, how much are we going to destroy the attention span of our kids? It's like they, they they can't they can't even sit for a half an hour of a story that they enjoy. Are you kidding me? All right, and so what I, what I would encourage us this evening is like you know when we read the word, don't just read it and go, cool, and then not think about it again all day. Right? Because that's what we do. Right? It's like, seriously, can you guys tell me what was in your devotion this morning? No. no. <laughs> so then let me ask you this. Was it profitable? If you can't tell me what was in it, was it profitable? Did you hold it of high esteem if you can't remember what it was? Right? It begs the question, huh? It really does. It's like, I knew it was a good devotion. I knew it was a good one. But I can't remember it. Really? Was it that good? <laughs> you know? Because seriously, if we have if we're reading the word of God and we're having that devotion, that intimate time with the Lord where he is speaking to us and we're hearing and he's giving us the insights for the day and he's building us up. I'm just going to give a shot in the dark here. Maybe we want to think about it through the whole day. Maybe we want we want to consider these things when we close the book, don't close the book. You're closing the physical book, but the chapter's still going in your mind. And it's like, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? 
Because now how many of you ever had a devotion, you read it, and you got nothing out of it? Call them the dry devotions, right? And you're just like, Lord, how can I go through another genealogy? Come on. <laughs> right? Right? But it's like, here's the thing. We need to keep going through it. It's like, Lord, why are you showing me that? What was the purpose of that? You know, I mean, because seriously, I mean, how, how many of you have ever had like a life-changing devotion? Like absolutely, like hands down, just like blew you away where the Lord showed himself. And you're like, dude, God has to be real because this devotion is incredible, right? I mean, I've told you guys all the one word God rebuked me in advance. I mean, it literally, it was like a prophetic word. It's like I read it. It was like, and I literally, I'm sitting there. I'm like, Lord, I didn't get anything out of that devotion. And it was as clear as a bell as, more, as much as I've ever heard anything. It wasn't the audible voice, but it was like that, it like shoved into your mind. Or it was like, and all of a sudden it's like, it just came to me. It's like, you're going to read it again later. And I was like, that's kind of a weird devotion. I'm going to read it again later. That's all I got out of it. And then like later that, and literally later that day, I was like totally obnoxious to somebody, kind of had a haughty attitude and like, no, 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 it was, it was somebody, it was, it was some woman at Joyful Life that was rebuking me for not walking in the blue line here while I walked like literally five feet over like that to my car. And she just like wouldn't let it go. And she's like rebuking me and rebuking me and rebuking me. Oh, don't feel bad. I'm like, I don't. You know, and I was like, and I was like, but I was, I was, and then I got in the car and it's like, and she, and she didn't, it didn't click on her radar. So that was the Lord. It didn't click on her radar, but I'm like, I don't. And I, and I, I went to my car and I sat down and all of a sudden it's like the moment I closed it or all of a sudden it was that voice again. And it said, go read, go to the office and read it again. And I got to the office and I opened it up and I go, oh, and it was totally rebuking me for it. It was like the, the, the proud and the haughty and things like that. It's like, that's me. I'm a sinner, you know, but it's like. That's what it'll do. And sometimes it doesn't make sense at the beginning of the day. Sometimes it's just like, it was dry, it was boring, and so I forget about it, and then all of a sudden something happened, but because we forgot about it, it doesn't even, it just goes right below the radar. And we don't even see it, we don't take part in it, and we don't give glory to the Lord. Right? But then, sometimes it's like, we just like, we read it, it doesn't make any sense to us, but then we can keep on thinking about it. We keep churning over it. It's like a cow. You know how they chew the cud, like they eat and they swallow it and they got one stomach and then they puke it back up and they chew on it some more and then it goes down to another stomach and they puke it up again and they chew on it some more and it goes down to another stomach and then they chew it, puke it up again, they chew it some more and it finally goes into the final stomach and then it goes through, right? Isn't that a great picture for, for your Bible study and your devotion time? It's like at least four times to the day you should think about your devotion. You should like bring it back up and like that's moving, right? Sorry, that's that's John Corson. But you know, I know, that's bad lane week. <laughs> but it's like you know, we should be considering these things. If it is a devotion, if it's something of high esteem, if it's something of worth, if it's the Lord speaking to us, I mean, think about that. Think about that. Think about the Old Testament believers. The entire planet, one guy could go into the presence of the Lord once a year, and even that under a cloud of, of um, incense. So it's like he really wasn't in the like full presence of the Lord. And even that, it was just a replica of the real thing. And yet we are given, because we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we've been sprinkled by the blood of Christ, we are deemed holy, and we can enter into the throne room of God himself. And he is speaking to us, and it's like, shouldn't I like consider these things throughout the day? Shouldn't I be able to share my devotion with somebody? Maybe it's maybe maybe it wasn't for you. Maybe it was for the person that you run into, right? 
but it's like you know, we we need to have these things. We need to keep churning over them. We need to keep considering them because it's like I guarantee you, I, I, I'm going to make a statement today, and I'm absolutely convinced of it. Every single day, the Lord has something for you. He is speaking to you and to me every single day. Not just those mountaintop <laughs> devotions where he like show he like predicts the future and things like that, but like every single day the Lord through your devotions will have a word for you. That's a pretty bold statement. Prove me wrong. Okay? Now, finally, and this is the one that specifically deals with Revelation. And it says, So, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And it says, And keep those things that which are written in it. That word keep, circle it in your Bible. Even if you've only got a pen, just circle it. Because that word keep is important. Because I don't think it is what you think it is. That word keep isn't like hold on to it and like keep it on to the side and do this kind of thing. That word keep, it means to keep watch. Right? It means watching out for, looking. What was it that Jesus kept saying all the time? Whenever he talked about his second coming and things like that in the Gospels, what did he always say? Therefore watch, for you know not the hour. When the master returns, right? All those kingdom parables and things like that. Therefore, watch, watch, watch. Now, there's a blessing promised to those who read, to those who hear, and those who keep watch of these things. So now, here's the thing. What possible blessing could there be for us to keep watch of these things? Well, number one, if we read and understand, right, if we commit these things to our hearts, when the things do happen, it's not going to be a surprise. It's not going to be like, oh my goodness, Obama is elected and he's going to ruin our country. <laughs> right? Or there's all these you know, wars and rumors of wars. What's going to happen? Oh my God. Can't we just have peace? No, we can't. These things have to be. Hello? That's what he said. Right? When we know these things, when we understand these things and we treasure them in our hearts, when we consider these and all of a sudden we start looking for them, it's like, okay, these things are going to happen. They're on the horizon. When are they going to happen? Let me see. Where? What are they going to do? And as, as they start to happen, it's not like, oh my God, it's the bear chip. It's the mark of a beast. Right? No. It's like, dude, check that out. It can happen. Look at that. Dude, CNN, satellite TV, man. Every The whole world can watch the Australian Open tennis matches right now. How cool is that? Right? Joey stayed up last night till like 2 in the morning watching. <laughs> But it's like, you know, the whole world, wow, that's incredible. You know, these things, and guess what? The United States isn't mentioned in the book of Revelation, in the end time scenario. Hmm, what could that say that's going to happen to the United States before these things happen? Hmm, hmm. So, like, when we keep watch for these things, we are going to see them unfold. And when they unfold, what is that going to do to your faith in the scripture? When we see these, these things begin to be fulfilled. You're going to be like, dude, this is awesome. Look at this. And what's it going to do? You're going to want to read more. Right? I guarantee your devotions are going to be like, you know, show me. Oh, come on, Lord. Come on. Give me the good stuff. I want to see it. You know, we're going to be excited. It's going to bolster our faith. And these things that are terrifying everybody else, right? These things that are making everybody, what's going to happen to my 401k? We're just going to be like, dude, come on. Come on. Another 200 points. 200 more points. 200 more points. Come on. Go down. Right? 
there's a blessing because we see the word of God being fulfilled. These are prophecies that are happening in our lifetimes. Right? The year that Israel became a nation is the same year that Eric Tribble, Pastor Eric Tribble, he's the dean of the Bible College, was born. Right? So it's like these things are happening right around us. And it's just like, wow. Because revelation really couldn't happen until Israel was back in the land. Right? It really couldn't. But Israel is back in the land now. Wow. That's pretty amazing. A people that had been dispersed for almost 2,000 years came back together with a national identity, still speaking their original language. That's unheard of. It's an impossibility, really. It's crazy. And nevertheless, there it is. I've been there. I've seen it. I've walked the streets. I was like, gosh, when we see these things, it's going to bolster our faith. It's going to bolster our faith. And guess what? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. There's a promise in this book. There's a promise for blessing. Why? Because it's telling us the things that are going to happen. It's telling us the future events that are going to happen. And so when we read it, and all of a sudden it's like, and we just so happen to be living in the time when these things are being fulfilled. It's like when we see these things unfolding, it's going to be like, dude, check this out. I need to get out and start witnessing some more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> goes back to our last lesson, right? So it's like, we will have an understanding of where we are. We will have an understanding of who we are. And more importantly, we will have an understanding of who he is. Right? Because a lot of people like, oh, Jesus, he's that blonde hair, blue eyed guy that has a lamb around his neck. How sweet. Right? Right? But it's like, then all of a sudden, it's like we see Jesus, and he's like treading the grapes of wrath, and he's pouring out the blood, and like his his robes are dipped in blood, and he's like killing the whole like armies of the world. And you're just like, is this a rated R Jesus? Whoa, what happened to the lamb? <laughs> right? He's like, you know, look at the wounds of the lamb. Yeah, you know, it's like when we have the full understanding of Jesus, then all of a sudden these these things these predetermined conceptions of who Jesus is for the world and all that kind of stuff because they do. They have wrong concepts of who Jesus is. You talk to a Jehovah's Witness, you talk to a Mormon, you talk to these different groups, and they all have wrong pictures. You talk to most Americans, it's like, oh, Jesus is such a sweet guy. Really? Do you know what he did? Do you know what he said? Because his message wasn't all that sweet. It was like, I'm going to bring a sword. Did you think that I came to bring peace? No. No. I came to bring a sword. I'm going to be dividing households, right? But my message will bring peace and it will bring life to those who hear. That is the blessing of Revelation. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of things that must soon take place. It's letting us know so we can walk in confidence and in peace through these things as they take place. Because... I mean, you, you sit there and see it, and you watch our, our president, you know, the Lord help him. and But it's like, you know, he, he's going all forward with, like, these abortion things and literally, like, all, all the blockages that have, like, tried to, like, hamper abortion and things like that. More than likely, he's going to sign the thing to set them all free. So it's like, you, basically, you can do anybody, anytime, can do abortion. No parents need to know anything. And just, like, every restraint be removed from it. But you know what? These are the things that must come to pass. These are the things that must come to pass. And it's like, you know what? It grieves me so much 
especially if any be, anybody has ever just gone onto like YouTube or something like that and watched the Silent Scream or something like that, you know, and and you realize the Holocaust of you know abortion in our country, and it really is a Holocaust. It's worse than the Holocaust. More people have been killed and murdered than in the Holocaust, and you know, for some reason, it's just like woohoo! It's free right, free choice. Hey, how good is that? There's a um, there's actually a video from you know the the Catholic vote. Dot com. They're the ones who put out that really cool. There was a really I don't know if you saw it, but there there was a there was a really cool video that they put out dirt before the election. But they put out this another one that they're trying to get onto the Super Bowl um, on Sunday. They're trying to put it in there, and and NBC rejected it. We're not we're not going to play it. Nope, nope, nope. And all it is, you, you see an ultrasound picture, kind of like the one that was on Jesse's computer. Over there's a little ultrasound picture, and you see this little baby moving. The little heartbeat is going and stuff like that. And it's just saying, you know, this boy, you know, like his father won't be in his life. His mother will have to struggle to make ends meet, and da, da da da. But this is the future president of the United States, and it's it's all speaking of like it's Barack Obama's past, right? And it says every life is precious, boom, and like that's it, like that's the whole thing. It's literally it's going through like if if you know Obama was aborted, he would obviously not be the first black president of the United States, and so it just kind of goes boom 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 boom, boom and you're just like, dude, the Catholics got that one, cool, you know? But it's like. <laughs> But it's like, these things, the blessings of these times, right? We see them happening, and these things must happen. The wars and the rumors of wars, and it's like, all of these things are going to pass. And it's like, you know what? And we are still there. We're still there to reach out a hand. We're still there to minister to people as these things happen. But we cannot be taken aback. We can't be like, <gasps> and get all freaked out over these things because we know, we know, we've read We've held it in high esteem. The word of God is the word of God. It says that these things are going to happen. And so when I'm ready for it and I hear it and I've, I've treasured it in my heart, and then guess what? When these things happen, I'm just going to be like, part of me is going to be like, you're grieved when it happens, but at the same time, you're just like, dude, it's happening. That's so rad. So I want to leave you guys with that encouragement. And hold on to your hats and glasses because Revelation is a wild ride. And we're, we're going to be getting into it, and um, there is definitely some incredible applications, some incredible things for us to really chew on and dig on. There's, you know, it, there's these are the deep things of God, and it's going to be awesome. So, God bless you guys. Let's pray, and um, I'm excited to see what the next few months are going to hold for us in Revelation. Lord Jesus, Lord, we just thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for this book, Lord, that we can trust it, that we can believe you and we can take you at your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us to our to our own interpretations of your word, Lord, that there is, you even said there is no private interpretation, Lord, but all prophecy is given by the Holy Spirit. It has a meaning and truth. And Lord, I just pray that even as we take these things to heart, Lord, even as we consider these matters, Lord, the book of Revelation, Lord, as we see these things coming to pass, Lord, I pray that we would not fear, Lord, that we would not be terrified and tremble at man and at wars and, and things like that, Lord, but that we would tremble in your presence, Lord, as we enter into times of devotion, that we would give glory to you and praise you. And Lord, that as we have hope, as a people who have hope in these dark times, Lord, that other people might see that hope and want it and ask for it. And Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to open our mouths, Lord, and share it when that time comes. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us. 
Reveal yourself to us, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly, Lord. Amen. All right. Well, Revelation has officially begun. The Revelation has officially begun.